Exodus 1 says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All these descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. <clears throat> but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. <clears throat> now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do the thing, uh, do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. <clears throat> so God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. <clears throat> then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for um, the faithfulness it has to speak to us of your goodness and graciousness. God, we thank you that um, when we're uncertain, you're certain. When we don't know what's next, you do. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage and consider it, that you would apply that message to our hearts. Help us to find our strength in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> well, um, as you know, weeks Weeks and weeks ago, uh, we were in Genesis, and we had finished up Genesis and had seen that, uh, that Joseph had brought his family and his brothers to Egypt and, uh, and given them the good land of Egypt, of Goshen, and God had provided for Joseph and his brothers and his dad uh, during that time. Uh, Jacob's dad, when he heard the news, had, was reluctant to come, didn't believe it because he thought that his son had died, and now he had come back, and so, uh, so the, the family was able to be reunited with them and, and came to Egypt. And, uh, and as you know, and as some of you know, there's a little guide here that we're slowly working through called Casket Empty, uh, and this is just a 
really an Old Testament outline uh, that is, you know, I'm not using strictly for sermons, but just as a nice picture of where we are in the bigger story. And so now we're moving on to the S, which is the time of Sinai. Um, and, and this is the time of, of uh, the people of Israel being in Egypt um, and, and then coming out of Egypt and being established in their new land. And uh, so we'll be looking at this for a good amount of time. Uh, we're going to at, at least go uh, the next few weeks very slowly and then may pick up pace uh, when we get to like sections of big long sections of the law. Uh, so we'll see how we go with the pace, but uh, we're going to try and just uh, go go uh, slowly through this so we get to uh, see just the value of what's going on and, and understand it more ourselves. And so today we're looking at this uh, time span really is like a 400 year time span uh, between verses 1 to 7 and verses 8 to, uh, 8 to 22 there. Um, <clears throat> the beginning starts us out right where we left off, right? Uh, the, the, the people of Israel were migrated into Egypt and it says they began to multiply and grow exceedingly strong. And then in verse 8, it says, there rose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And this was many, many years later. <laughs> she, we've already got exiles. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's later in the story. Can this turn around? Um, we'd worked out this play, and anyway, it just, <clears throat> the timing was off. <clears throat> um, and, and so th- these people came, and you know, one of the things that I'm reading through this passage and, and seeing is that um, you know, we look at this passage, and you heard me, heard me read through it, and, and maybe you're familiar with it to a degree. Um, we have some certainty about what happens in this passage. Like we, when we think about Exodus, we think about Moses is coming. That's what we think about. Well, when I was sitting with this passage, I, I was not... I was trying to feel what they were feeling in chapter 1, not thinking about what I know of chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and beyond. <clears throat> and what a, what a crazy time they lived in, right? J- Jacob and his family are called to leave the land that was promised to them and go to Egypt. And, you know, sort of knowing, maybe knowing that, like, God had told Abraham, yeah, you're going to be enslaved, you know? Like, I mean, I'm sure they shared what God told them to, I would, I would think that, you know, maybe Abraham said, hey, you know, at some point, you know, we're going to be enslaved for 400 years to a nation. You know, maybe that gives Jacob a little bit of apprehension about leaving the land. Like, maybe he's not ready to be the one enslaved for 400 years. Um, and so, so they go, and, and in the midst of going to this new land, we see it, instead of having a difficult time growing, they're actually growing very strongly. Verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Over the course of <clears throat> a couple hundred years, a few hundred years, they had grown into a great nation in the midst of Egypt. But going down, they didn't know that was going to happen. They had no idea what would happen. And so picking up in verse 8, we see that sort of the uncertainty of their situation is still there because, you know, they still know, they still have held on to these promises that one day they were going to have a land of their own. One day they weren't going to be living in somebody else's land. And so 
They had an uncertain future. They didn't know what was going to happen next. They were living as exiles. And so far, it'd been okay. They'd grown and multiplied and, and spread out in the land, and, and it was good. But fast forward to a new regime coming in, and we see verse 8, a, a king arose that did not know Joseph. So we know this has been a long period of time because Joseph was very significant to Egypt at one point. Did not know or appreciate what Joseph had done. And he said to his people, Behold, the, this people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and escape the land. So a shift happens, right? And instead of being able to sort of move about freely, taskmasters are coming down strong on them and, and a bit of uncertainty about, okay, what is happening now? There's a change and a shift in their uh, reality. And questions arise about what is going to happen to them as a people. <clears throat> so Pharaoh makes this shift, and instead of them being discouraged, instead of them uh, getting smaller and, and getting weaker, what we find is actually the opposite happens. I mean, imagine the uncertainty of this. Someone comes in and starts uh, changing the way they interact with you and putting taskmasters over you that are, uh, that are ruthless with you, practically enslaving you at this point. You're getting to start to have some questions about how you as a people are going to exist with this other people. There's a significant amount of uncertainty here. But in the midst of that, <clears throat> verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. <clears throat> they don't know that Moses is coming. <laughs> they don't know when they're going to leave the land. They just know who their Lord is. And God is protecting them and multiplying them in the midst of this. So, Pharaoh even more oppressed them. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. In mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field, they worked ruthlessly and worked them as slaves. As they continued to multiply, he laid even heavier burdens on them. <clears throat> and in verse 15 and following, we see, as, as you know, Pharaoh puts the order out that instead of allowing these baby boys to be born to Hebrew, that the midwives ought to not let these baby boys be born. But think about the amount of uncertainty as, uh, as couples you would have in that case. Okay, it's one thing for me to have to work hard under a new leader. It's another thing for me not to be able to multiply because of the leader for my children to be taken from me because of this leader and ruler. Again, they don't know chapter 2 and 3 and 4. They don't know what's ahead. Just sitting with this change of dynamic in their lives. And 
living in very uncertain times. <clears throat> but God We see that instead of obeying the orders that Pharaoh gives, the midwives make excuses to not do it. And there's a question in my mind. I think there's a little bit of debate over whether the, it says in verse 15, the king said to the Hebrew midwives, uh, one of whom was Shipra and the other Pua, uh, whether these are uh, Egyptians who are midwives to the Hebrews or whether these are actually Hebrews who are the midwives to their own. So there's a question there. Um, <clears throat> The reading of it to me seems like these are Egyptian midwives that are serving the Hebrew women. And uh, if that's the case, like, what they do is amazing. Instead of obeying their tribe, their people, they instead are God-fearers <clears throat> and don't tell Pharaoh the truth. Say, well, why, why have you not taken out my orders on these women? Well, they're just really fast in labor. They're too quick for us. <laughs> just before we get there, they've birthed and snipped and cuddled and everything's done. I don't, sorry, we're not able to get there in time, Pharaoh. And because of this, God dealt well with the midwives. And in spite of Pharaoh's plans to attempt genocide on this people, they continue to multiply and they continue to grow very strong. And so the setting we're given after that is instead of just giving midwives the command to uh, kill these baby boys, rather he tells all the people of Egypt that if you see a Hebrew son, that you should throw him to the Nile. And the setting for the birth of Moses is set for us. They're living in extremely uncertain times for the longevity of their nation. They don't know chapter 2 is coming at all. For years, who knows how many years, they're dealing with this change of regime, this change of practice, this absolute oppression. And like, think about living in that on a day-to-day -day basis. trying to raise your family and care for the land that you've been given, and, and this is the environment that you're in. <clears throat> but I think you probably caught it, that in spite of this uncertainty, God is faithful. In spite of being oppressed by taskmasters, God multiplies them. In spite of midwives being instructed to kill the sons they grow and multiply and become even stronger. God is faithful when we're uncertain. See, on this side of the story, we feel such a sense of certainty that God is going to come through because most of us know how this story plays out. But these people in chapter 1 are walking day by day in complete uncertainty about whether they will survive under this Pharaoh or not. And so what do we do in times that are uncertain? We let God be God. 
mentioned that, uh, you know, it's 2020, so we're supposed to have like 2020 vision, right? What's going to happen? It's like just set up for every pastor in America to just cast, you know, an impeccable description of what is, what are we seeing in the future? Have you got your eyes checked, you know? Are you seeing 2020? There's all sorts of things we should be doing today, but I don't have any of that for you. In fact, if I'm being very transparent and honest with you, I'm having a hard time getting into 2020. I'm having a hard time rolling into it because uh, there are uncertainties. There are big things that are uncertain, and I'm asking the Lord for answers on. And I think probably you all are in similar boats in your lives as well. There are big pieces of your life right now that you're saying, okay, God, how, like, how are you going to maneuver this big you know, mountain that's in front of me? How, how are you going to do this? How are you going to put this together in a way that is glorifying to you? And I'd say, but God was faithful, and they multiplied and grew stronger in uncertain times. You can see, you know, knowing the story of chapter 2 and beyond, you can see how God's faithfulness is all over chapter 1, and how he is just perfectly setting up this story of redemption and salvation here. We can see that from this side, but they couldn't see that. All they could see is that in spite of oppression, they continue to grow. Something is growing in them. God is faithful in uncertain times. So I would say to you, if, if you're facing some sort of uncertainty right now, uh, don't try and grab hold of it just by yourself. Let God be God. Uh, let Him bring the certainty that you need in your life. When I was working through this, the passage from uh, 1 Corinthians came to, their 2 Corinthians was encouraging to me, and it says this, uh, some of you know this passage, verses 7 to 10, and I'm going to read a, a little bit down from there. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In chapter 1, the surpassing power is God, not the people. They're not trusting in their own strength. God is saving them already. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, not driven to despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Struck down, not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Why? Why is that? Continuing in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So often we look at that which is transient and think that it is the thing that is eternal. And we look at what is unseen and think that it is the thing that cannot be grasped. 
And God is saying to us, if we're in uncertain times, don't look to that which is seen and transient, but rather look to that which is unseen and eternal. Why are we enduring this affliction? Why are we in perplexing states? Why are we uncertain about things? It's to show that this all-surpassing power is not from us. It is from God. Whatever uncertainty you're walking through today, know that it is momentary. And know that its purpose is to show you the eternal weight of glory. That God is going to act on your behalf. And there will be no denying it that God is the one that acted. Uh, Time and time again, when I come up against this type of season or uh, uh, time in my life and I'm saying, okay, trying to figure out, okay, how do we get this here and that there and move this there? You know what? God shows up and provides a better solution. (laughs) Always. He says, see, it wasn't dependent on you. Like, I had a better plan than you from the beginning. So just trust me. God is at work here. What is this treasure that we have? What is this thing that we hold on to during this time? It's that God is with you. Just like we looked at at the end of last year, God is your father. Not, Not your father, but like your dad. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows your uncertainty. He knows the affliction you're walking through. He loves you. And he wants you to be one with him. I mean, he wants us to be one together. And so, again, uh, you know, as, as I look at the, um, Jeff was saying, oh, the first Sunday of the year, here we are. Like, yeah. Where are we going? <laughs> I just was reminded of this. This is where we're going. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A little further after that, he says this, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. God the Father, our Dad in heaven, wants to be united with you in the same manner in which God in heaven is united with God the Son. I mean, you can't explain the Trinity. There's no way for you to come up here and be like, this is exactly how the Trinity works. I mean, it's ice, water, and gas. (laughs) See how perfect it is? You you can't. It's God. He's He's just bigger than you. He is one with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And he wants us to have that same unity with himself. 
And he wants us to have that same unity with one another. And so if I'm looking at a time that is uncertain and I don't know some answers that are in my future, you know where I'm going to go back to? God loves me. And God loves you. And God wants you to love one another. And that's, that's literally all the vision we need. You may not be seeing things 2020 in 2020. <laughs> and that's okay. Because you know what? God is going to show us that he's the one working in spite of us. He's the one working through us. You can take courage. You and I can have perfect confidence in God. In spite of whatever uncertainty we face, we can have perfect confidence in God because He is our Savior and He knows the battles that are before us and He has already won those battles. And so let us hold fast our confidence in Him. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you preserved the story of this people coming out of Egypt. And over the coming weeks, we just know that there's going to be ways in which we identify with them so strongly. And God, in the midst of it, what we see over and over and over again is that you are Savior. You are with us at every step, and you are making yourself great in our hearts and among the nations. And so we ask that for uh, this body of believers, God, that whatever is before us, you know it. And we trust you. When uncertainty is before us, we trust you. When afflictions are before us, we trust you. When we don't understand, when we're perplexed, we do not despair because we trust you. You are with us, God, and we're so grateful for that. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives that we can trust you and hold fast our confession that Jesus is Lord. To him be the glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.